you have your Bible, could you turn to Luke chapter 12? This morning's message comes from Luke 12, verses 22 through 31. Father, we're so thankful for this morning. We praise you for your word. We praise you for our time together, and we ask that you would work in our hearts and our minds, cultivating faith, strengthening us, causing us to put our trust and our confidence and assurance in you, and being filled with peace as we do, knowing that you care for us and you take good, take pleasure in providing all that we need. We praise you for being our God and that we are your children in Christ. Amen. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 22, reads, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you so anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. How many of you ever experience stress or anxiety? Show of hands. Just a couple of you. The rest of you are liars. Now, how many of you like it when you experience stress and anxiety? Just one. (laughs) Yet you all do it. That's crazy. That's interesting. We all do it, and none of us like it. If all of us could say, you know, how, how could we deal with this stuff? How do we deal with stress and anxiety? This is, seems to be a part of our lives, and yet we're often ensnared by it, it seems. It seems to control us in so many ways. You worry about the kids. You worry about the finances. You worry about the job. You worry about the house. You worry about, you worry about, you worry about worrying. Well, I have good news for you. Because Jesus here addresses what is at the root of our stress and anxiety. And how it is we are to deal with it. And Jesus knows that this is a real problem. It's a real problem for you. It's a real problem for the people out there. It's a real problem for all of humanity. He knows we get all concerned about things like food, clothing, paychecks, bills, work, children, or any event that seems 
like it's a little out of our control. Something that we want to control, but it's outside of our control, there you have a recipe for stress and anxiety and worry. We worry about all the wrong things while we neglect giving our attention to all the right things. So often our attention is given in the wrong direction. And this is what Jesus begins to address. He says, don't worry about the cares and concerns of this world. God is taking care of you. That's basically what he's saying in a nutshell in the first part of this. He begins by telling us to look at the ravens. In verse 24, he says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet, God feeds them. And in order to make the connection, what does he do? He says this, of how much more value are you than the birds? So here Jesus is trying to help us see that if God takes care of the ravens who don't worry about what they're going to eat because they always seem to have food, he says, how much more will he take care of you? Jesus wants us to look at creation. He wants us to go outside, say, have a look around, and learn some very valuable lessons. He wants us to observe what's going on, and then he wants us to know how to apply it to ourselves. So if you look at a bird, I'm sure you've all seen a bird, see birds around you, you'll, one thing you'll notice is that they don't tend, they don't seem like they're worried, especially about food. You know, there seems to be plenty of seeds, plenty of worms for those, for the ravens and such. There's plenty of carcasses or whatever. They're, especially around here, I don't know what's going on, but they're like breeding crows. Crows seem to be everywhere, and they have plenty to eat, obviously, because they're multiplying greatly. And here's the other thing. If you watch them and he observes them, Jesus says, notice something about them. What, what do you notice? You notice that they don't, they're not concerned. Why? Because... Otherwise, they might go build some kind of storehouse and then start, you know, putting it in the storehouse. Why? Because they're concerned. And actually, there are creatures, if you watch them, that are concerned about the winter. But that's because God put it in them. They're not, I don't, I don't think they're stressed. They just know how it works. I'm going to be locked up in this cave or this little uh, nest or whatever it is for several months and I need some food. So they store up for, like food. Squirrels will do that, and then they camp up for the winter, and they have lots of little munchies for the winter. But there's not, the, the thing is, doing the work and storing it up, even if you watch them, they're not concerned and worried and freaked out. Jesus then adds after this, so he says, take, out, take, take a look, observe creation, and even you know, he takes the birds, and he takes something that we don't consider very uh, much value, and he says, okay, now, the argument from the lesser to the greater. If God takes care of them, watch how he takes care of them, then he'll take care of you. And think of it, you're of much greater value than a whole bunch of birds. So he says he wants us to make the connection. And then he adds another argument to give further proof as to why it is so foolish to worry about all the things we do. He asks a question that he knows has a, almost a humorous response. If you look at verse 25 through 26, He says, and which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to the span of life? If then you're not able to do such a small thing as that, 
Why are you anxious about the rest? Just think about that for a moment. Which of you, if you got all worked up and worried about it, could add one hour to the span of your life? Like, if you could, can anybody do that? He's saying, can anybody add an hour? Like, if God determines at the ninth hour you're, you're, it's over, go ahead and worry about that all you want. You can't change it a stitch. It's going to happen. And most of us don't think about our span of life, and thus we're in some kind of, we've got some terminal disease. Then all of a sudden, it's like, whoop, whoop, whoop. And we know that by worrying about how much time we have, we're not going to add time. We're probably going to shrink time. We know that worry and stress and anxiety isn't going to help anything. So a lot of people, when they know, say, hey, you only have two months to live, they usually get living. They put their whole heart into living. They stop stopping. They start smelling the flowers. They start hugging their kids. They start loving life. They start saying, okay, I've got a two-month window, and I'm going to live. Most of them aren't sitting there going, oh, no. I better, I better get freaked out, worried, and anxious, and stressed out about this. Because somehow, maybe if, I, maybe if I figure out a way, I'll extend my life. No, you won't extend it. You will only shorten it by all your stress and worry. He says, and, he says, and Jesus asked us, so if you can't do such a simple thing as that, if you can't expand the span of your life by your stress and worry, then he's almost like saying a lesser, greater, or in this case, greater, lesser. If that's a, he says, that's a simple thing. It takes less work. It's interesting enough uh, that he says this. He says, that's just a small thing. He says, now why do you worry about all these other things? He says, it, it doesn't make sense. But it doesn't have to make sense. It's just that's how strange we are. It doesn't always make sense. It's just we do things that are sometimes downright foolish. Jesus, he goes on from here, and he says, he begins to talk about, give another analogy, and to provide another argument. He says in verse 27 through 29, he says, consider the lilies, how they grow, that they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the, clothes the grass which is alive today and, and is tomorrow is thrown out in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you, of little faith? Jesus knows that his listeners believe that God has created all things. He's talking to Israel, right? He's talking to the children of Israel. He knows that God he knows, they know, that God's created everything. That this is, this is God's world. If you go outside and you look at the trees and you look at the grass and you look at the flowers, God created those things. And he says, you know that. He's talking to this people. Today it would be a little different. He couldn't assume that, that talking to a people that they all know and believe that God actually did this and actually provided this. Because this is part of the argument, understanding and believing that God created it. And so if God creates it, you know it, you believe that God creates it. He wants you to go outside, he wants you to look at the flowers and realize the flowers. How are they clothed? How are they arrayed? He says, man, Solomon holds nothing in comparison to them. Just look at their glory, look at their beauty. How many of you have seen this time of year beautiful flowers that you go, wow, that is beautiful? Probably most of us. And yet one thing you notice about the flowers, there's something really amazing. 
They're so gloriously and beautifully arrayed and clothed. But they're here today and God tomorrow. Short life, isn't it? If you watch them, they just they quickly pass. And yet, so Jesus is saying, listen and look. If God takes something that has such little value that its lifespan is like a, a week or two, and if he so clothes and cares for them, I want you to observe that. Say, God, if you so clothe and care for these flowers in front of me like this, of how much more will you care for and clothe me? That's what Jesus wants them to see. He wants them to make observation of the creation, make a proper conclusion, and make an application to themselves. And say, God, you, look at how you care for these things. Of how much more will you care for me? Unless you see yourself as less than a flower, then there's a problem. You don't understand the value. You're created in the image of God. You, that, you just by being born, you have like supreme value in terms of all the created stuff on the planet. At the top is the human, is you. And so Jesus is saying, just by the very fact you're born, it doesn't have to do with the quality of the person at all. You were born in the image of God. You've been given special status. And so you should just understand that flat out. Oh, I'm not that great of a person. You know, I'm, I'm not this, I'm not that. It's just easy for us to really think, devalue ourselves and, say, and not even understand that if we, should, we should be able to make the argument, look at a flower, look how God clothes it, and go, wow, if God does that for the flower, how much more will he do for me? That's what Jesus wants them to see. You know, in front of my house, I have irises. And most of you have probably seen it. Well, maybe you haven't. You've got about a one-week window. So if you're not there that week, you miss out. But it's beautiful, glorious. These purple, deep purple, rich irises, there they are for everybody to see. And actually, it looks so beautiful at times. People stop when they're driving and just stare at them. I can tell what they're thinking. Wow, those are beautiful. But a week later, later, they're dead brown and like this. And they're ugly. I was just out there yesterday cutting them all down cutting them all down, piling them all up, and throwing them in the ditch. Here today, gone tomorrow. Beautifully arrayed. And God wants me out there. He wants me looking, and he wants me to say, Dean, if I so clothe these irises with this beauty and glory, and they're here today and gone tomorrow, of how much more will I clothe and take care of you? But how often do we get that message? How often do we hear that preached to us when we're out looking at the flowers? We just, we're busy on our day. We're busy worrying. Worrying about this, that, and the other thing. We, could, we didn't even notice the iris. I'm like, I'm just wondering if I got, you know, going to have food tomorrow. Or I'm going to, I'm just wondering if that job's going to last. I'm just, you know, we're fixated on the things, the wrong things. So here's the thing. We are children of the living God. Who Jesus says, if you, you know what? You need to cast away your cares and concerns, and this is how you do it. Put your life in perspective and see the truth and the reality for what it is. God takes care of these things. God will control them. God is sovereignly over them. He feeds. He cares for. He protects. He provides. That's his job. That's what he does. Stop trying to take over. 
That's what he says the nations of this world do. He goes, they go, he goes on to say the Gentiles do. They worry about this stuff. They freak out about this stuff. They're always concerned. They're always biting their nails, and they're always freaked out because they, to them, they don't have a God like this that they serve. The God of the heavens and earth is not their God. They don't trust him. They don't look to him. They don't believe in him. They reject him even though he is the one still providing. And it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter whether you accept him or, or reject him. Guess what he still does? Provides. Guess what he still does? Protects. Guess what he still does? He still is God, whether you reject him or not. Whether you freak out and worry about it or not, it doesn't change it. It just makes it worse. Yet we're like convinced that, oh no, oh no, what if, what if, what if, what if? But Jesus says, you know what? You need to understand how the world works. And if you need a lesson, just go observe creation. He says, no, okay, instead of concerning yourself, because it's one thing to say, okay, I cannot and I should not ought to concern myself with all these things that stress me that I have no control over. Food, clothing, bills, job, work, all this stuff, right? It's all these things that I'm freaking out. Usually I'm freaking out because I know that I have no control over them. God says, that's right, I have control over them. Trust me. Okay, so now what do I do with my mind? Okay, so now what should I do? If I don't worry and concern myself with that, Jesus says, this is what you should concern yourself with. In verse 31, he gives it in one simple line. He says, you should seek his kingdom. Concern yourself with the kingdom of God, and that is where joy and peace is found. Concern yourself. If you want to be concerned, if you want to be something, be wrapped up into something, be wrapped up into the kingdom of God. Now, the question is, what does that mean? That's actually one of those statements that's boggled me for a long time. Seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? You ever wondered, like, what does that mean? It's kind of like the statement we, we like to say. It's something we say. We know we should say. We know we should believe. Glorify God. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God. And we kind of know what it means, but we don't, like, what does it mean? What does it mean to glorify God? It's one of those ones that I also thought, you know, what does it mean actually in the details? Like, how do I brush my teeth to the glory of God? Like, it, it's, it's, it's true, but it almost makes you wonder exactly how, what direction you go with that in. Like, it's not easy to fully get your head around. And the same with this one. Seek first. I tell you to seek first the kingdom of God. Do you know immediately what you need to do? No. no. <laughs> and that's the thing. We don't often know, okay, now, yeah, I get that. I know that. I believe that. That's right. What does that mean in the details? Well, I think that in order to understand this, we should, first of all, this unpack this a little bit, understand what is the kingdom of God? So there's a lot, that's a huge subject. We'd say, what is the kingdom of God? I could spend a massive series. I have done a series on this years, years ago, before. But the question is, when you ask the question, what does it mean to seek it? We first of all have to understand what it is. And so I'm just going to quickly look at what it is, and then after that, then we'll get into how it is we, we seek it. It's obviously, it's a kingdom. And we don't always completely fully understand kingdoms because we don't live in them any longer. We live in this constitutional republic, or supposed to be. Um, but it's a kingdom, and it's a kingdom of God. It's God's kingdom. It's governed by God, which is diametrically opposed to the kingdoms of men. 
So man's kingdom is governed by a king on, uh, like a man. This kingdom is governed by God. And we know that it's specifically governed by King Jesus. Jesus is the king, and, it's, and the spirit is the one powerfully governing within it. So the reigning ruling king is Jesus in this kingdom, and the spirit is the, one, the governing agent within, governing within this kingdom. We also know from John 18, where Jesus is describing it, that his kingdom, he says, is not of this world. And what he meant by that, it's not of this world in the sense that the kingdoms of men are of this world. Because he says, Jesus says, if it were, my disciples would fight. Because that's what kingdoms do. When another kingdoms are in collision or they're colliding and someone's attacking the king and someone's coming against the kingdom, what kingdoms will do? What will happen if someone comes against you? You stand up to defend yourself and you fight. But when Jesus said it's not of this world, it doesn't operate according to the same systems and patterns of the kingdoms of this world. That's why they don't fight, he's saying. So they're like, huh, interesting. It's of a different nature. He also said in Luke 17 that it does not come with observation. So you couldn't say, there it is, or it's over here. In fact, as he was explaining to the Pharisees, he says, it's in your midst right now, when he was talking to them. Huh? The kingdom of God. He says, yeah, it's right here in front of you, and you can't even see it. Because there was Jesus establishing it. So the kingdom is obviously, it's a spiritual kingdom, controlled by the spirit governed and ruled by King Jesus. And whereas the kingdoms of this world are controlled, are fleshly kingdoms controlled by the flesh. Spiritual kingdom controlled by the spirit, the kingdom of God. Fleshly kingdom controlled by the flesh, the kingdoms of men. This means that the kingdom manifests itself in a particular way. The kingdom kingdom of God manifests itself in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, which is the fruit of the Spirit and the very nature of our King. So even though it is spiritual, understand that the, the kingdom actually has physical manifestations. So when I say the word spiritual, it doesn't mean it's invisible, ethereal, and you know you never know that it's there. Jesus says, no, it's here, and it's in your midst. But it will manifest itself, and the fruit and the manifestation of it will be a kingdom like no other kingdom ever observed on the earth. Because in this kingdom, it's going to be, the fruit is going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And this kingdom that was established in seed form in Jesus' earthly ministry was going to, like leaven, go through the whole lump so it covers the earth. Till the word of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. So it's going to go out, Jesus said, and it's going to spread, and it's going to take over the kingdoms of this world. And it's just going to, it's like leaven, and leaven, you don't see leaven working, and leaven, it's working. It's like this invisible thing that's infecting the whole thing. And that's how this kingdom will work. So now this is, that's the nature of the kingdom. That is like just a brief overview of what the kingdom is. We're not trying to establish some kingdom on earth like it's comparable to the kingdom of man. Like it's an actual, let's set up, let's buy a town and set up the government and establish a a, a governor or ruler. And let's like have have laws and and prisons and jails and police and and everybody get a sword and a a gun and, uh, you know, Let's establish this space. We'll build a big fence around it, and we got a big fence around it. we got guards out front, and we said, here we have established the kingdom of God. No. Sorry. Eh, wrong. 
Christians have actually done that kind of thing. That's not the nature of it. So once, but when we understand the nature of it, the kingdom of God, ask the question, what does it mean to seek it? In Mark 1 through 15, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here it is. It's time. And what do you do? He tells them, what should you seek? What should, you, what should be your response? Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus also said in Luke 13 that we should seek to enter through the narrow gate, which was a reference to himself. You, seek to enter, you should seek to enter the kingdom. And how? You should seek to enter through Jesus. And then in Mark 10, 14 through 15, he said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not enter into it. That must have just twisted their brains. You enter into, okay, he wants you should seek the kingdom of God. And how do you do that? And this is where, you know, you become like, a, even through repentance and faith, you become like a little child through humility, through brokenness, through confession, through, oh, Lord, here I am a sinner. And as we believe, we enter the kingdom. You should seek after. A lot of Jesus was doing his ministry is having them seek after the kingdom by seeking after him in brokenness and humility and repentance. You watch what he does to everybody who comes to him in humility and repentance. He shows them incredible kindness, mercy, forgiveness, and love. So the first thing we need to do if we're going to seek the kingdom is to enter it. And then once we've done that, we receive the goodness, power, and love of the kingdom. Once you're in the kingdom, you receive. Now you've sought the kingdom, you received the kingdom. Now what should you do? Well, you should, now, you should seek to, now you're still seeking the kingdom in this way. You're seeking to manifest the kingdom and you're seeking to extend the kingdom. So our minds, if you've entered the kingdom, your heart and your mind say, what should I concern myself with? I should concern myself with manifesting the kingdom of God to the world and with extending it throughout the world. That's what you should, be, that's what you should set your heart and your mind upon. What should I be doing? That's what you should be doing. You should seek to, in your work, in your home, in your, in your play, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you know what you should concern yourself. If you want to worry about something, worry about expressing and manifesting the glorious goodness and power of the kingdom of God through all of life. Concern yourself with that. And concern yourself with seeing that extended throughout the nations. Give yourself to something that truly is rewarding, truly is fulfilling, truly is life-changing, the kingdom of God. And if you invest your time and your energy and your concern in that, you will find it brings and reaps all kinds of benefit. You know, the thing that we have to realize is that if we're ever going to get there and do that, this kind of brings together what I've been talking about. If you, as the children of God, do not learn to take your thoughts captive to the truth, if you do not learn to fight the battle of your mind, as I've talked about in the last few weeks, you will have no part of this. This will just be not, this will be another sermon that you hear. Oh, I know I should do that. Let me get back to my worrying. That's great. Yes, I agree. And why do I just always get back to worrying? Well, it's because you're not doing battle in your mind. This all begins in your thoughts. Worries, stresses, concerns, 
All the stuff, it begins right here. This is why you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and set your mind on the things of the Spirit. He who sets his mind on the Spirit does what? Walks according to the Spirit. This is fundamental. The Spirit, the manifestation of the kingdom and the extension of the kingdom will not happen because a bunch of people, the Christians, they sought the kingdom one day, they entered in, and now all they focus on is their, they just focus on their work, they focus on their, their home, their family. And it's like, here's the weird thing. We think, well, you don't want me to focus on that stuff? Well, how do you expect to do that stuff? Easy. When you focus, you can only really do your work gloriously when you're focused on manifesting the fruit of the kingdom through your work. You can only really be a great parent when you focus. You have to not focus on, oh, worry and freak out about your children. No, you, should, you need to focus on your heart and your mind being filled with the Spirit and expressing, let, letting the Spirit work out of your life and expressing the fruits of the Spirit. You concern yourself with that and watch how much better of a parent you are. You concern yourself with that and watch how much better of an employee you are, worker you are. Watch the other things flourish. We think in our minds, well, are you telling me, you know, it's kind of like people say, let go and let God. Well, let go. That thing will just go crazy. God doesn't want to let go. Well, we don't mean that. It's the only actually way that you can work in a glorious way. It's the only actual way that you can actually parent in a glorious way. It's the only way that you can manage and care for the things you have in a glorious way is by first and foremost concerning yourself with expressing and manifesting the kingdom. So here's practically what you have to do. You have to do two things. On a constant and continual basis because the battle is for your mind. You have to make sure that earthly cares and concerns of this life don't come in and make residence in your heart and your mind. First of all. And second of all, you need to seek to have the truth of God, the truth about himself, the truth about his kingdom, fill your heart and your mind. So here's how it works. If a thought comes into your mind where you doubt, question, or are concerned about what is happening in your life, the issues in your life, what do you do? You take the thought captive to the truth. That's what you do. And you've got to get very good at taking thoughts captive because they come in all the time. So let's say that you think, like, I wonder, this is, what th- this is the thought that comes into your mind. I wonder if we're going to have enough money to pay for rent. Innocent thought, right? Or here's another thought you might have. What if God doesn't provide a job in the next two weeks? Or what if I'm not doing what I should be doing and God somehow punishes me and punishes us and, doesn't, and, and then he doesn't provide. Or, can you think of others? Don't these thoughts, these thoughts come in, don't they? They come into our minds. What do you do? That's the question. What do you do? Well, let me tell you what you do. You grab that thought by the throat, you pin it to the ground, and you say, that is a lie. That's not even true. My God, and this is the, so that's the first step. You've got to grab those thoughts and say, no, it's a lie. Now you have to say, the truth is, my God will provide for me. Now, somebody who does that in their mind, they've got it going on. 
they get it. They understand. They're discerning their thoughts and the intentions even of their own hearts. They're seeing what's happening. Thoughts will always come in. You can't always control what comes in, folks. Don't believe me. The enemy is planting plenty of seeds in your minds. They can plant seeds about other people. They can plant seeds about doubt. It's always about doubting, about questioning, about wondering. The, the enemy of your soul wants you to be freaked out and concerned because whenever you're there, you will never be trusting God. Ever. That's his main concern, that you would, you would think that you're trusting God because you believe that he is, but you don't trust him because you're wrapped up in the cares and concerns of this world. And what the cares and concerns of this world, they take you by the neck and they choke you. They choke you out. Totally choke you out. This is how a thought comes into your mind, and, this is, and that's what you need to do with it. That's how you take, take it captive. It's the only other way, and it's also the way, if you expect to walk in the Spirit and manifest the fruit of the kingdom, it's only going to be as the thoughts are taken captive and the truth is, is held in your mind. Now, because we... Here's something else. Not just the thoughts, but the imaginations of your mind. Do you guys ever imagine scenarios? You better believe it. The thoughts and imaginations of our heart. You know people who have phobias? You know what they do? They imagine crazy scenarios. There's people who have phobias. There's actually, I didn't realize this, there's a pretty common, not, I don't know how, I can't remember the percentages, but people have phobia of bridges. And why do you think that's the case? Well, because they imagine, could you imagine, just to let that imagine going over a bridge, and for some reason, this bridge started to collapse. And we all plummeted to our death in this, this bridge. And you, so you start to imagine, could you... Could you imagine what that would be like and the terror and the, and the horror of it all? And because this, this imagination of their mind captivated them and filled their hearts, they developed this phobia. They're freaked out. Now, once again, this is why we are people who are so stressed out, worried and concerned and freaked out because our thoughts and the imagination and what goes on here is a lot of times we, just, we allow it. We don't, we don't grab by the throat and say, no, that's not the truth. Now, I want you to do something here this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something that allow, help you to see how you use your imagination in a very fruitful, productive way, in a way that I, I know for a fact, because this was true in my life. I hadn't done this in realizing that I don't even imagine properly. I don't use my imagination the way I ought to use my imagination. Now, I want... Just trust me on this and go with me. And I want you to use your, imagine, use your imagination, okay, as much as you can. And I know you can do this. Okay. All right, thanks, Mike. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I'm looking at you. I can tell if you're not. Close your eyes and let your imagination begin to work. Picture yourself... What, one particular thing that is concerning you or that you're worried about. Picture what this thing is. Pick one thing in your life that you're worried or concerned about. And this particular thing that's concerning you, you tend to worry about, 
Picture it being on your shoulders and weighing so much that you're having a hard time holding it, this huge, heavy weight on you. Now, as you're feeling this, the weight of this, now you look in front of you and you see in front of you there is Jesus. And he says to you, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Give to me your concern. Give to me your burden. This is for me to be concerned with. Now take your burden, take your worry or concern, whatever it is, and you hand it over to him so he can take care of it for you. He now is in charge of it, and it's no longer yours. Completely and absolutely his. No longer yours. Now feel the liberty and peace of not having that burden of knowing that you're no longer responsible for it. It's no longer is yours. Jesus is now taking care of it. Okay, you can open your eyes. Now, what you just did there is use the thoughts and imagination of your heart. to, to And actually, if you engage your imagination like that, do you realize that you can feel and experience, like, you, your brain can't tell the difference between reality and imagination. This is why you can read a story or, and someone can, uh, can describe a scene and you feel it. You can feel the anxiety. Why are you anxious? You're not even in the story. Because your, your brain can't even discern the difference between you actually doing it and you just listening to it. So you, you use your imagination in a way that as a, what you just did there was apply the truth. You just, what Jesus told you to do, he says, Take, do not worry about this. This is, God's to con- this is God's to care for. Yours is to be the peace. Yours is to be the trust. It's yours to give to him. And you, see, it, you are the one to trust him. And if you did that and you actually visualize that, you will experience what peace is like. You will emotionally feel the release. So this is, this is how powerful it is. So many people go off and they imagine things that are true. They imagine a life and things. What if this happened? And what if that happened? And they let their minds imagine the scenario. And like a corkscrew, they go down, 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 down. But they don't use their imaginations actually to use to it. How about you imagine the truth? What is true? Imagine that bridge. Instead of falling apart, you imagine it. No, God upholds it with his power and nothing my god is in control of all things and he and he and he protects me and he cares for me and he loves me now that's true imagine that now what starts to fill your heart and what starts to fill your mind is the fullness of the spirit and what you begin to manifest is the fruit of the spirit i'm convinced that if we do not we do not engage our minds in this way. The thoughts and the imaginations of our own hearts, if we do not take these stupid, sometimes these thoughts that come in that are just useless captive, and we begin to fill our hearts and our minds and imaginations with, with the truth, there's no way we are ever going to be able to seek the kingdom, to manifest the kingdom, and to extend the kingdom. Because all you're acting, you'll be acting no differently than the world. That's what the nations of the world do. They concern themselves with these things constantly. As the children of God, 
Jesus here makes it plain. He says, do not concern yourselves. Do not let that stuff get in your head. Do not let that stuff get in. The cares, the concerns, the burdens of these world, take them all and give them to Jesus. They're for him. He says, God, that's his responsibility. And you, you set your mind, you set your heart, you set your desires on the kingdom. Fill your heart and your mind with that. Picture and imagine the truth being manifested in your life and out of your life and into the world around you. You do that. Yeah, and then you're filled with peace. You're filled with joy. And you really, truly, truly begin living. Amen. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you so much that you care for us, that you govern us, that you protect us, that you're over us, that you go before us and behind us, that, Lord, you are our salvation. You are our strength. You are our hope. You are our shield. You are our strong defense. You are. Lord, whatever we're concerned with or burdened with, if there's concern or burden here this morning, I just pray that you would help these people to see the importance of taking them and giving and taking it and giving it to you resting it with you and to begin to fill their hearts and their minds with the truth about who you are and who they are in you for we ask this in Jesus amen